when I say the church has left the building, we can no longer have a singular model for what church looks like. You know, um, every church is not going to be, you know, one with a steeple on the top of it. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen, an attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Blum, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Good day, everybody. This is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest who will introduce herself. Karen Georgia, please go ahead. I am Karen Georgia Thompson, and I serve as the General Minister and President for the United Church of Christ, which is one of the mainline denominations in the United States. This is a recent call for me in ministry. I started at just a mere 21 days ago. So I am still getting acclimated. I would also say I am a poet. I am an administrator. I am a minister. And I always want to say of myself that I'm a child of the universe. Oh, and, and, and you know, congratulations uh, with your new position, Karen Georgia. I mean, this is pretty special. Um, I mean, for the listeners who are not familiar, you know, with this world, um, you're the for- first woman that has been chosen as the president. Yes. And also the for- first uh, woman of African descent, right? Yes. So, so how do you feel about that? I... I think I'm still wrapping my head around the enormity mm-hmm. and the historic nature of the moment. I, I find, um, you know, trash day is Thursdays at my house. And when I took out the trash this past Thursday, I thought to myself, there's no presidential trash person. You know, like nothing has really changed <laughs> here <laughs> for the most yeah. part. But when I talk with people, there's a general excitement which is which for me is where the energy around this and the understanding comes from, because clearly my life is still my life (laughs) and the, and the normalcy of it um, is what I live every day. But as I talk with people who are energized around what it means to, to see a woman in leadership in our denomination, which is predominantly, um, uh, European descendant, seeing an African descendant person. I'm also an immigrant. I was not born in this country. I'm Jamaican by birth. And so it's also the magnitude of being a person who was not born in this country and has managed to overcome to some extent some of the challenges that are involved with coming into another country as a teenager or whatever it is that that looks mm-hmm. like. And so I think for me, it's it's really wrapping my head around that and and holding it because i think it is a moment that is is to be acknowledged and so 
I find myself sometimes reflecting on the moment, but usually it's because somebody has put it in front of me and not because I'm taking out my trash, you know. <laughs> let, let us let us um I, I i have a couple of questions about your you know present position but before we go there you you said you know you're born in jamaica mm -hmm. talk us through that so uh how many years did you live there um you know when did you come to the states and t tell mm -hmm. us a, a bit about your upbringing and was there a moment maybe in jamaica or you know that you thought okay this is the direction that it should go i mean you have you are many things right yes so, so yeah where, where the moments where you thought, okay i will be a poet or i will become you know the next president of the ucc you know i not only am i many things i've had many lives mm -hmm. so in some ways i would say where i am is a third career mm -hmm. i was born and raised in jamaica I, I explained to people, no, I was not a missionary, child of missionaries or anything like that. Uh -huh. We generationally Jamaican, you know, um, a descendant of, um, of enslaved people who were brought into, into the island. So my family migrated to the United States when I was 14 years old, but it wasn't it wasn't a simple process as, you know, right. oh, let's all pack up and leave. My father had left many years before, had migrated to the U.S. And um, as with many families who kind of go through this kind of migratory experience, you have that separation of families for an extended period of time. So my father was gone. Um, he left like at the end of the 1960s. And then my mother left in the early part of the 70s and was gone for a number of years and kind of went back and forth until we were united late 70s in in New York City. Mm. So most of my most of my formation I would say was in the Jamaican context so I still have pretty vivid memories mm -hmm. and I do ground myself in my heritage and culture and understanding of myself as a Jamaican woman. Mm. Um, even though the critical places of my formation um, are here as um, as a as a teenager, you know, going to high school and parts of of junior high college, all of that happened in this country. And truth be told, I've lived in this country longer than I lived in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's something about our DNA and something about how we are formed around our ancestry, our heritage, our culture, that doesn't shift regardless of where we live, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so that's, that's important for me. I would say, I can't really think of a particular time mm -hmm. where, you know, things kind of clicked for me. I, when I was in, in high school, because I went to high school in New York, I went to Brooklyn College, to Brooklyn Tech, and I was an aeronautical engineering major in high school. Really? Okay. Really. Um, so it's, it's one of those, those facts about me, you know, when I talk about yeah. my life where people go like, what? So, yes, I was an uh, aeronautical engineering major at Brooklyn Tech. And then I went on to Brooklyn College and did computer science. So still like in the, in, in the sciences. And somewhere along the way, I decided that I did not like any of that. Mm. 
mm. and that I wanted to do something different with my life. So I switched majors and I became an English major, English mm. and secondary education, okay. which is what my undergraduate degree is in. I have substitute, I've done substitute teaching. I have never been a classroom teacher. Mm. Um, so that's that's something of of a first of a first life. But I think that there's something about being an educator and mm -hmm. education looks different in different places, right? It's not like, it's not a one thing about a classroom or the public school or anything. So I still consider myself to be an educator mm -hmm. because there are multiple ways in which we educate um, along the way. So I've had a career in nonprofit management. Mm -hmm. I have a master's in public administration from, uh, from North Carolina Central University in Durham, North Carolina. Uh -huh. I did a year of public policy at Duke University. Then I went back and I got an MDiv at, um, at Union Theological in New York. And I have a doctorate of ministry from Seattle University. The thing that I would say um, about my multiple um, career paths, right, is that somehow they've all um, intersected in this place where I currently am, mm. you know? So I have this nonprofit career. I have this career in programming in the national setting. I have a career in ministry as, you know, uh, a, a pastor. And all those things inform what I currently am. So there was, I don't think there was any point where I said, you know, um, I want to be this thing. I think I've followed the passions mm -hmm. that I had for my life. And I've all, I think I've always been a writer. I just didn't know it was a thing mm. to be a poet. Okay. Uh, doing, having a gift that is, around the arts is very hard to manage because the arts are not, unless you make it big, right? Mm -hmm. It's really not a structured way of having income, right? And so I, I remember being, um, being in, my, in my early 20s and, mm -hmm. and dreaming words at night. Yeah. You know, I would, I would sleep and I would dream whole poems you know, I would wake up and I would forget, but I think the words have always been a part of my life in a meaningful way. Mm. And yeah, just a quick question. Do you, do you have brothers and sisters? Yes, I do. So they all also went, all went to the States? Yeah. So when, so when my, when my parents migrated, we, mm -hmm. um, on the, my older brother was 16. My younger brother was 11. Mm -hmm. And so, so we all migrated together. Okay. Yeah. But again, my, my, my father left first and then my mother left and then, you know, they went through the process mm -hmm. of, um, of filing for us as children. And, and, you know, one of the reasons that I always ask this question also, because I'm, and I'm always curious, okay, what is the, uh, you know, what is the career path of, of your siblings? 
Yes. Is there something you know similar going on, or are they totally in different you know directions? Okay, yeah. my siblings, my um, my younger my younger brother, um, mm -hmm. who's the youngest of the four of us, was um, has had a very vibrant career in in computer science. Okay. Um, so he was a programmer for many years. Um, then he then he left that. And now he does a lot of um, kind of um, AV and, and what, you know, that term gigging in the um, in the um, in the film industry. So mm -hmm. a lot of the kind of movie sets, television sets, that kind of thing. So that's what he does. Mm -hmm. My my older brother works for um, for an airline for one of the major airlines on, on the, I think now he does like freight or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm saving my sister for last because my sister um, for a while did customer service kinds of things and then um, went back to school and joined the New York City Police Department and um, had a, a 20 year career in the <laughs> with the New York City Police uh -huh. Department and she just retired. Wow. And so I would tell when people would ask me, you know, so do you have siblings? What what do they do? And I would and I would say this and they'd say, you know, well, how come your brothers ended up in like, you know, kind of this, you know, kind of normal <laughs> work and you and your sister <laughs> ended up in these male dominated professions, you know, but um, I'm, I'm not sure how or why, but um, for for 20 years we've had the the privilege of being able to support each other through um, the challenges of being in professions that tend to be white male dominated. Mm -hmm. And so that's, um, that's a very interesting uh, uh, trivia. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it <laughs> trivia is. Trivia note. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm I have two sisters and and one brother, and the, the brothers are more in the science film, you know, NGO science, mm -hmm. and and the sisters are in the arts. So it's I you know I don't know how that happened. Um, yeah. So it's it's interesting. I, I have a question to you though. You know, maybe you to to tickle your conscience in terms of if 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 tomorrow you know, um, your poems would become a bestseller as part of a book. And so, you know, salary-wise, is there is no issue. Would you change? Would you go full-time becoming a poet? Yeah, I I think I I think I would. Mm -hmm. Um I enjoy writing. Mm -hmm. And I I think that there's something about the creative expression that is important and it balances out my life in a in a particular kind of way. I um I I have a book of poetry. It's um, Drums in Our Veins, mm -hmm. which uh, I published last last year, maybe the mm -hmm. year before. I can't remember. I just finished the manuscript for my. So the first book of poetry is entitled Drums in Our Veins. Mm -hmm. The second book of poetry, which I just finished the manuscript for, 
is entitled Painting Rainbows with Teardrops. And um, I, the United Church of Christ, we have a project called Living Psalms. And Living Psalms invites uh, creatives like myself, poets and artists of different kinds, to reinterpret the Psalms, to rewrite the Psalms mm. from a justice lens. Mm. And so over the years, I've contributed to things like Living Psalms and different kinds of projects that have allowed me the opportunity to write from a different perspective mm -hmm. um, and maybe even write on demand, which is a, which is a particular thing. I've, I've served as like theological reflector for events. Mm -hmm. And I find that there's something about it, um, about that kind of writing that, that allows this part of, of, um, of who I am to emerge in a particular kind of way. So, so I'm, I'm very, um, you know, that there's that part of me that is very structured, that engineering side, right. You know, very structured, very systems oriented, you know, and then there's this very creative side mm -hmm. and the work that I do quite often doesn't demand that kind of creativity. So I think if I had, um, if I had the resources and I could do anything, I'd probably be a writer mm -hmm. full time. And I have like all these writing projects that I would just really love to do because I've actually, <laughs> my, my sister's a little annoyed with me, but um, I've, over the years, I've written three novels. I've never published them. Mm. And actually all three are unfinished, which may say something about my own sense of, um, of my writing, you know, I, um, meaning if I don't finish them, then I don't have to publish them. Right. I don't have to worry about what's going to happen with them. But my sister had surgery one year and mm -hmm. I sent her one of these novels to, um, to read. Yeah. And so she read and then she called me and she was like, where's the rest of it? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I just wanted to know like what you thought about it. Like, did you think it was good? She's like, well, I need to know what happened to the people. <laughs> and I said, well, I haven't finished it yet. And so a few months passed and she called me and she said, I just want you to know I'm having dreams about these people and I need to know mm -hmm. what happens to their lives. <laughs> so I think one day I want to go back to that kind of creative writing, which takes a different kind of focus with a poem, uh, for me, I, I think it's more of a gift for me. So when I sit down um, and, you know, people compose differently, but typically, you know, I feel more like I'm channeling when I write, you know. Um, so especially the poetry, when I, when I write um, in terms of uh, novels, it's a different kind of process, you know, which is also different than when I write, you know, for um, speaking engagements or sermons, mm -hmm. you know, but um, having those spaces in my life is really a blessing to utilize the gift and to allow the gift to be a part of community. Mm. I, I heard you use the, the word, you know, I when you write poetry or channeling, 
Yes. Um, are you are you channeling when you know when you are preaching? Yes. Yeah. I I would I would I would say so. I I think I think that's a classic example mm -hmm. because as a as a preacher, my understanding of the preached word is that I am a conduit. Mm -hmm. Right. So whether it is that I that I write that on paper and deliver it, right? Or um more extemporaneous in, in the presentation, mm -hmm. I still understand that the words that I'm speaking are being brought to the people through me and that that message is first for me. I would like to go uh, piggyback a little bit further on, on your new position. Is it, it is, is it for three years or is it for six years or for how many years is, is the... A term is a term. four years. Four years, okay. So I will be eligible for re-election in mm -hmm. 2027. Okay. However... We um, we just voted at our general mm -hmm. synod in yeah. 20, uh, which we just had in June. Mm -hmm. We voted to move our general synod from two years to three years, okay. to every three years. So that will change the terms for the elected officers of the church from four years to six years. Okay. So wow. somewhere, so if I do a second term, it would be six years. Uh, so it was in the past that we were eligible to serve three four-year terms for a total of 12 years. Now it, be, it would be two six-year terms for a, still a total of 12 years. But for me, because I would be in this transitional phase, mm -hmm. I would be eligible to serve a total of 10 years, four plus six. Okay, got it, yeah. got it. Okay, let us... You know, go into the future <laughs> ten years yes. from now. Yes. Um. You you're not eligible to be reelected, so you have yes. to move on. Yes. So what do you hope to have left then? You know. Meaning what? What I hope to. Yeah. When you you know you're done with ten years and what what do you hope people would say about you? Oh, you know, the last ten years with Kevin Georgia in charge. Yeah. You know this you know, happened and. I would hope mm -hmm. that people would say Karen Georgia contributed to the church being a welcoming and a more open place. That Karen Georgia contributed to decolonizing the church in a meaningful way that allowed people to really hold on to their heritage, cultures, and traditions whilst in be, being present in community and understanding the gift of God given through Jesus Christ. Tall order. How, how will you go about this? Tell us one, one secret in terms Once, of what you're planning. Um, so... You know, we, we often talk about 
diversity in the church. And I think it's it's challenging because diversity is is actually not a singular. You know, we have multiple diversities that are present among us. And I think quite often we overlook what it means to hold the tension of, of, of different people who have different opinions, different theologies, different backgrounds. So I, I think I really, at some point, would like to have a church summit. I want to call it living under a big tent because right now I don't have a better title for it, right? And really what I want to bring the church into conversation about is what it means to have civil discourse in the midst of the diversities that we hold. Because I don't, I don't think it's something that just happens. Mm-hmm. I think it, it takes commitment, it takes time, and it takes intention to really live through what it means to, to have different opinions. I have um, people around me with a variety of opinions that are different from me, and they're not there because everything's easy breezy and cheesy. It's because <laughs> we struggle through the differences mm-hmm. that we have. And we don't always agree, but we've agreed to be in relationship. And so what does it mean for us to say that we understand ourselves to be community, communities of faith, communities that are based on love, right? And we understand as Christians that Jesus's love was a radical love, a radical Mm -hmm. call to love. Mm -hmm. And that the prophets, whether it's the the prophets in the Hebrew Bible or the modern prophets that are among us people, you know, like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who talked about beloved community, mm-hmm. that if we're going to be that or anything close to it, it requires that we be in intentional conversation and relationship together in ways that afford all of us to have uh, our human rights and dignity left intact Hmm. when we're done. Karen Georgia, you know, um, you know that uh, this this particular podcast came about, um, it's a spin-off of a 100-mile walk that I started Hmm. to do since 2012, Today's Awareness and funds uh, to end hunger, poverty, and injustice. And during COVID, um, I was not able to walk with others. I have to walk alone. And so I thought, okay, but I still like these conversations that I that I have with, with when I walk. Um, so anyway, so then I started this podcast to virtually walk with people like I do with you now. Um, and, but when I walk, either virtually as well as well, it's more it's more uh, present when I walk in person. Um, we talk about life. We talk about you know why are we here on earth. We talk about religion and spirituality, and then we talk about youth very often. And one of the conversations that come up is you know the the younger generation is really different. They go less to church. You know, and some people say, no, you know, it depends where you are. Maybe in a Western context, yes, et cetera, et cetera. My question to you around youth and spirituality and religion is, what do you see happening 
among youth in your community in relation to to religion and spirituality um let me let me start with um you know one of the one of the challenges mm -hmm. in general is the disaffiliation from uh, that people are um experiencing from from religion mm -hmm. including christianity people are disaffiliating but the interesting thing is <clears throat> the numbers are increasing around disaffiliation people are disaffiliating from institution mm -hmm. but they're looking for ways to explore their spirituality and i think it's interesting that people are separating the two mm -hmm. um a lot of a lot of young people i think are looking at looking beyond christianity you know there there was a time when we were very monolithic i think about our faith and the way i would name that is you know christians married christians you know jews married jews um muslims married muslims you know, if you if you were in a relationship with somebody across a from a different faith tradition, the expectation would be that one or the other would convert, and that there would be this kind of unified thing in your family, right? I don't I don't think that's true anymore, and mm -hmm. the the data is pointing to the increase in interreligious relationships and interreligious marriages mm -hmm. right if you go with with those as trends what it also means is that for our younger people that 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 siloed religious experience is no longer there mm -hmm. for most of for most of our younger people they are more likely to know people from other traditions in as much as they are they would know people from their own tradition. So I think that level of exposure has caused people to be way more expansive, like younger people to be way more expansive about their spiritual understanding. I think that there was a time when, you know, people would say, you know, oh, those are just young people exploring. But I think that they have used those opportunities to deepen their faith outside of traditional spaces hmm. and to ask questions and to be informed about what's going on, how, you know, what do people do in their context, not in a way that is geared at appropriation, but in a way that is allowing them to understand the universe, the divine God, whatever it is that we mm -hmm. want to call source, right? Um, to, to understand that in a bigger way that informs who they are. And I think that unless we, in the church, find different ways of engaging people around their faith. I think that the there's the danger of another generation that's going to leave the church. So what does that mean for you as the president of the United Church of Christ? Does it mean that you have to leave the building? I think the church left the building a long time ago. Um, 
And I think if we did not realize that the church had left the building, mm -hmm. COVID certainly um, amplified that, right? Mm -hmm. As, um, you know, and I, I'm of the opinion that everything is not for everybody. Meaning, I don't think that there's a cookie cutter model for what, um, for what church or worship community looks like, right? Mm -hmm. I think that there will continue to be worship communities that thrive in buildings, but we have, we have so many models mm -hmm. for what um, worship community looks like, right? It's small church, large church, mm -hmm. storefront churches, right? It's online communities. It's, um, you know, communities that are in, um, in, in bars and coffee shops and, you know, all these things that are emerging because I think that there's something to be said about the need for community and community as space that assists in deepening our faith and our wonder and connecting us to God. And I think, you know, when I say the church has left the building, we can no longer have a singular model for what church looks like, you know, um, mm. every church is not going to be, you know, one with a steeple on the top of it. You know, there are just so many models that are emerging. And I think that we're in a place where we need to embrace that and really think not so much about what it is that church needs to look like, but what it is that church needs to be in order to be responsive to the community. Yeah, I told you, you know, that that I walk 100 mile in, in a week or five to seven days uh, to end to raise awareness and funds to end hunger, poverty and injustice. If you would be asked to walk 100 mile in a week, so that means 15 to 20 miles per day, for which cause would you walk? Let me just say this. I'm anticipating a particular question towards the end, right? So... I'm conflicted with my answer because I would, I would say in this moment, the first thing that came to me was the refugee crisis, mm -hmm. which is a very, it's, it's a very specific thing, but it has multiple intersectionalities, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's, it's all the things that you talk about here, right? Which is the, the poverty, um, you know, so many things. But I also think that the severity of the refugee crisis globally is lost on most of us in our day-to-day -day existence, mm. right? Um, I, I challenge people quite often, <laughs> you know, and I, I suggest that if they, if they point me to an issue that they're concerned about in their neighborhoods, I could point them to a global issue that it's connected to. Mm. And so I think that when it comes to, to this challenge about the refugee crisis, it's also, it's also being fueled by the crime, climate crisis, significantly so, right? Mm -hmm. Climate, war, um, food deserts that are emerging, 
lack of water, so droughts, um, and the list goes on and on, civil unrest, all these things, right, are, are contributing. And people's general desire, I think, to live in places where they are safe mm. and they have the ability to flourish. You know, I I um I I try to lift up or to tell my listeners about the sustainable development goals. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I do this it relates to what you just mentioned. You know, we have many challenges in, in our world. Um the the good thing is that we did have discussions, you know, with each other. And um and as a result of those discussions, we came up with, okay, we need to make our world more sustainable. And we identified seven, 17 goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not perfect, you know, but it's what we have. Um, what do you like to the listen, my listeners to know about the sustainable development goals? We can all contribute to their success. I think that the... The thing to me about the 17 goals is their accessibility and that you don't have to be a country or a large NGO to contribute to the goals. So whether it's it's things like um, zero, zero hunger, you can contribute to that by simply contributing to your food pantry, the food pantry in your neighborhood. Right. And I think the the other thing about that I find compelling about the SDGs is the invitation to measure the impact of things that we're already doing. And um, you asked me about like 10 years down the road with this ministry. One of the things that I would really like to see is our congregations in the United Church of Christ intentionally. documenting the impact of their ministries by identifying the sustainable development of goals that are associated with the ministries that they do in their congregations. I, I, I love that. And and one of, you know, you know, I've been living in this country for 13, 14 years now. And what I find unfortunate is that th- this seems to be the only or one of the few countries where very few people know about the, the sustainable development goals and people are not working on it. If I go back to my own country, the Netherlands, you know, every municipality has to report on how they are contributing. So so I, I think that intentionality is would really be helpful. And unfortunately, we don't we are not making the progress that we you know we should make before you know those goals we need to reach before 2030. And there is a growing group of people within the world uh, that is saying, you know, one of the reasons that we are not making the progress um, outside of, you know, climate change and wars, etc., is the fact that we did not pay proper attention or we are not paying proper attention to the ability, skills and knowledge that you need as an individual and as a community, you know, to really come up, contribute to these processes and system changes that the sustainable development goals are about and you know a survey was done uh, discussions were held and then this group of people came up with the inner development goals there are five inner development goals um, being thinking relating collaborating and action and my question to you uh, about this is if you hear me saying this you know the five uh, inner development goals 
Um, maybe two questions. Have you heard about the inner development goals? Um, and if not, you know, it's, it's not a problem at all. But have you any initial thoughts when, when you hear this? Um, so, no, I've never heard about the inner development goals. Mm -hmm. um, I like them. Um, so you said being, thinking, collaboration, action, and what's the fifth? Relating. And relating. And this makes perfect sense to me mm -hmm. because I, I think that one of I've been thinking recently about the ways in which we live in a very siloed world. In as much as we, we talk about globalization and people are traveling and we're connecting, there are still ways in which we are still pretty siloed about um, whether it's our work, our connections with people. And, I, and again, I, I would say that COVID has kind of heightened that, right? So when I look at these, you know, things like being, thinking, collaboration, action, and relating, these are very powerful ways to get us to, I think, to, to think beyond ourselves, right? Or beyond what it is that we think we're a part of towards something larger. <laughs> you know, and when we think about being, it, I think it invites us into more of a spiritual space, right? This, this idea of being, you know, being, thinking, the collaboration piece is huge in this action, which, which would include like advocacy and, you know, things like that. And then relating what it means for us to be in relationship together, which kind of fosters a lot of this other stuff. So I really like these. I'm going to go look it up and um, figure out how I could weave it into whatever the next thing is that I talk about. I like this. Great. great. Well, I'm happy to, to hear that. I, I've tried to incorporate, you know, in workshops and, and, yeah. and also uh, where I've spoken. Um, I also would like to pick up to what you said around connecting and that, you know, that we need to connect uh, more, you know, that's, that's an important aspect of ultimately working together and making this world more sustainable and, and better for all. Um, yeah. That's what I hope with my podcast that yeah, I, you know, I contribute to connecting people, make mm -hmm. people expose people to different perspectives. Again, you don't have to agree with all the guests, um, but be open, listen. Um, so, yeah, relatively recently I came up with the idea of, you know, what I should do is also connect my guests, you know, more intentionally. Mm -hmm. So I have I have um, a question for you of a previous guest. Question is, what do you think is the most serious challenge we have on Earth right now? Mm. I am going to go with the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Um, and, and this is what I was referring to yeah. when I was talking about the refugee crisis. Yes, sure. Because the climate crisis has produced a lot of things that is more than what we are seeing in terms of changes in, you know, you know we, the, the Maui fires, the, mm -hmm. the recent um, 
you know, storm off the California coast. You know, we look at there, there are multiple natural disasters that are happening and mm -hmm. the, the world is pointing to climate change, the rising seawaters, mm -hmm. all of that, right? But in places where it used to rain, it doesn't rain anymore. In places where, um, you know, it, it had a different kind of climate. Um, you know, so people are unable to live in, 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 in certain places. Hmm. I remember um, we visited um, Bangladesh a couple of years ago and, the, and, and visited with partners there who are trying to deal with the salination of the soil because of, of rising seawaters and they're unable to plant the things that they used to plant to sustain the community. So they're having to adapt to planting above ground. And you know, you have, you know, acres and acres of 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 land that are empty because they can't plant on it because the soil is too salty. And they're having to find crops that can grow, go grow in, in that soil. So I think for me, um, I think the other challenge too is, is how to reverse the damages that have been, that have been done as well. So this is not as easy as, oh, let's turn, you know, flip a switch and change it. Mm -hmm. It's that um, we have moved into a cycle and, um, you know, there are those who still theorize that, oh, there's, you know, there's really nothing going on. That's just a little bit of heavy rain, right? But it's not. And so I would, I would point to that and probably also name that there's a sense of urgency for more effective global response that is more coordinated because I think you know, kind of everybody's doing their, the same thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody's doing different things. And then also, I think that there are ways in which um, the, the, especially the global North communities, right, that are actually emitting, um, you know, are committing a lot of, um, let's just say climate crimes, right, are not willing mm -hmm. to, to change and steer course, but where it's impacting is in developing communities, right? And that in more industrialized countries are not as responsive because um, they don't wanna change, you know, what they see as a, as a way of life. So what do you hope that UCC will start doing? Um, I don't know that there's anything specific that I would hope we start doing. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably more of a hope that we will continue being invested in the things that we're doing, mm -hmm. which is, you know, I think being in, um, being a part of, of a number of organizations that are focused on the climate crisis, calling, uh, you know, we have staff who are working on the issues, but working with other staff as well. And, 
you know, we sit in places like, you know, the World Council of Churches and, and other spaces where very um, important and critical thought is being given to not just how do we educate about the climate crisis, but how do we impact and perhaps even reverse the trends that we have seen in the last few years. your question for the next guest my question for the next guest if you could meet anyone in the world who would you want to meet and why and the person should needs to still be alive since you asked that question i would say anybody um, whether dead or alive. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so if you could meet any, any one person, who would you want to meet and why? Great. Um, yeah, Karen Georgia, I know that, that, uh, you find this question that I'm going to ask a difficult one, like many of my guests, but I'm going to ask you anyway. If I would ask you to mention a song or a piece of music mm -hmm. that embodies for a big part what you are about, which song or piece of music would that be and why? Okay, this is good. I, one, of my, one of my favorite songs is, um, is Bob Marley's Redemption song. Um, as I've gotten older, I've really come to appreciate um, Bob Marley's contributions in a significant way to actually fighting against the oppression of African descendant people. And I think Redemption Song is, is one of those that you know, if you listen to it, he gives you a whole history in this one song about the about the plight of people, right? So, you know, it starts with, you know, you know, old pirates, yes, they rabbi, right? Sold I to the merchant ships. That's about the enslavement, right? And then he talks about, you know, redemption song, the songs of freedom. That's all I ever had. So, so it's this, it's this place of moving from, you know, it kind of moves you through. And, and I think that Bob Marley's, Bob Marley's life as, um, you know, I mean, people know him because he became famous, but Bob came out of the ghettos of Kingston and, you know, was very poor. And like a lot of, um, of the singers who became popular coming out of uh, out of the Jamaican context, you know, people like Peter Tosh and, you know, so forth, they were singing about what they knew. They were singing um, out against, um, against oppression. They were, they were singing about, <laughs> you know, the corruption in the government. They were, they were singing about the colonial project. 
that had left, you know, millions of of African descendant people in the Caribbean basin, you know, uh, destitute, illiterate, uh, lacking infrastructure, you know, lacking education, you know, so so that's 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 one of the that's the one that that I would identify. There there are there are probably there are probably others, but I think I think that's one that I that I really appreciate. And I you know when he sings about emancipate yourself from mental slavery, that's a big that's a real thing. And and a lot of us still haven't gotten to a place where we can think outside the box and be critical about the systems that are in place that are oppressive, not only to ourselves, but to global communities. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop that there, you know, emancipate yourselves from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. Thank you for sharing that. And that, for me, it makes it full circle, you know, bringing it to the IDGs, right? Is, is you know, system changes require individual as well as community uh, changes as well. And and uh, I, I love that you, you chose Bob Marley. It's, it's one of my favorite artists as well from when I was, you know, uh, young. So for, for the listeners, a reminder, we made a, a Spotify playlist of all the songs that have been, um, you know, selected by my guests, and so did, we will add this one. Um, and I really encourage you to check it out if you have time. I I often listen to it, and of course, for me, it's it's maybe extra special because it reminds me again about the privilege of you know that I've had to talk with uh, you know a wide range of people with different song choices as well, from classical music to Bob Marley to you know, Rolling Stones, uh, U2, um, or Mozart. Um, Karen Georgia, you know, um, I don't know if it's still going on, but at a certain moment, Steve Hartman of, of C CBS in the US examined how one simple act of kindness uh, creates a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have two questions to you about this, and that is... Um, yeah, what are your thoughts about you know the simple act act of kindness and and you know uh, the potential to create a ripple effect? One, and then the second part of the question is: if I would ask you right now on the spot um, to commit one simple act of kindness um, this week, what would you do? Wow! First of all, i I think I think acts of kindness should just be a part of of who we are right you know this extra invitation says something about how screwed up we are as a society <laughs> mm -hmm. you know um i think if i if i were to do one simple act of kindness i'm going to share one that i've done in the past um i was i was in a restaurant one day having lunch and um, the people at the table next to me 
um, were very nice and they started talking to me. And so I asked the, the wait, the wait, the waitress that I had to bring me their check and I paid their check um, and paid my check and left the restaurant. So they really never had an opportunity to say thank you, but that wasn't the purpose of the exercise. I just wanted to do something, something, something nice for, um, for somebody else. Of, of course, this was, um, uh, let's just say this wasn't a high end restaurant and that's where I was on that day. I don't mm -hmm. go around paying people's restaurant bills because that could get a little pricey, especially depending where you are. Right. Um, but I, I just think that there, there are little things that we can do. I think even, even just smiling at somebody sometimes becomes an act, an act of kindness, a simple act of kindness. You know, um, sometimes I'll wait and hold the door for somebody, you know, and they seem surprised because, you know, just, and again, these are just these are actually what we would call common courtesies mm. that I think have, um, you know, have vanished from, from among us. But I like that personal, that, you know, kind of personal touch. And as much as I don't like surprises, I like surprising people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Hey, um, any message, a question, or invitation for the listeners? Get involved. I, I think that would be my invitation. Mm -hmm. I think we have different degrees of commitments, different things that we want to see happen. But it requires that we get involved and that we move beyond ourselves in order to move the needle in our society around the things that, the things that we see. It's, it's not enough for us to be voyeurs around injustice or to have uh, verbal commitments that are not realized in some kind of action. Um, these questions, these you know, talks always go fast, and and I really would like to thank you for for today. I mean, we know each other for quite a long time, but I've I've mm -hmm. heard things, and we talk with each other as well. Yeah. So, but I, I've heard today, you know, new things. So I, 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 I that's that's great. So, so uh, I, I'm sure the listeners appreciate this conversation as well. So thank you. Um, is is there anything? Is there a question that I should have asked and I didn't? No, I think you asked more than enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I thought this was good, you know. Um it, it made me it made me think about some things that I probably don't often often think about. Um the thing you didn't ask me to do was mm -hmm. to read a poem. But we don't have time for that. Uh <laughs> oh. <laughs> Actually, I I I um I got a, a message from from um, you know your church not to ask too much about your poems because before you know you know you're writing a bestseller and you will leave so say so they don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
No, yeah, thank you so much. And I will I will make sure actually that the book that you did uh, publish already that you know people can find it. Um, no, I have to I have to. I like the title, but you I have to. Drum, yeah, drums in our veins, right? Yes. Wow. Um, I have to check that out now myself, and I encourage the listeners to do the same. Um, thank you, thank you so much, Karen Georgia, and and um, you know. I, I really believe that that you were talking about the arts and 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 science. I I, I believe that it's uh, and and the religion. It's it's a dance that needs to happen. That's what I mm -hmm. think. So in in the arts, you never say good luck. You always say break a leg. So I would say break a leg, yeah. um, because it all you know it's all related. So um, yeah, keep on doing what you do, and and thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you for the invitation to be present. This was fun. Yeah, yeah, no, it, yeah, it's a lot of. I, I wish I could do this. You know, you if people ask me, what do you want to do? Well, I would like to do this podcasting full time. So, Ooh, so uh, nice. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> when one day when I get famous, then uh, I will do it. Yes, beautiful. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. for listening to walk talk listen please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on facebook or instagram